Well, it's good to see everybody. Um, I think I know pretty much all of you, but my name is Shim Hatfield, if you don't, don't remember who I am. My wife, Noelle, and two of our children are up here, Joy and Benny, and then the other two are ushered off to the back. So, um, Noelle and I have been around El Dorado New Life community, well, I've been around since 2010, right? 2009, that's right. And then we got married and Noelle's been around since we got married, which was in 2012. I do know that. So, um, so I haven't been been doing as many as much teaching uh, up here recently. Um, busy life is busy as life is busy for all of us. I'm currently working on my master's degree, which I will finish next year in May. Hopefully, if all all goes well, uh, I work at HeartSpring in Wichita. For those of you who don't know, HeartSpring were a school and residential um, facility for children with special needs. So we take kids from all across the nation. They live there at HeartSpring in our group homes. And I've been doing that for eight years now. So that's all you need to know about me. All right, here we go. Um, so I feel like I, I want to start by saying sometimes there is this, um, I don't know, maybe assumption, maybe an underlying subconscious assumption that the person up at the front is the one who kind of has arrived, if you will, and they've got their stuff together spiritually. And I just want you to know if you're looking for that, that's not me. So I am not that individual. I don't have all my stuff together. I am more and more thankful for the grace of God every day and um, more and more learning that this whole story is much more about his grace than it is my performance. And so that's why I can have confidence in being up here uh, in front of you guys tonight. So um, we're going to be start out in Matthew. If you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to start at verse 34. I don't really have a title for tonight. Uh, Dina asked me earlier. Uh, thank you, Dina, by the way. Can you imagine working with the El Dorado crowd on how like spontaneous we are and trying to have notes and songs and all that ready when most of us just show up and say, yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. So we appreciate you, Dina. Um, so I don't really have a title. The, I guess the title would be um, love, 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 love. It's all about love. Love God, love one another, specifically tonight focusing on that loving one another part. So there's probably a title somewhere in that, but I don't know what it is. Um, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. I'm going to read this here. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Imagine the, the weight of that. Jesus is saying the entire Torah, the prophets, the writings, the Psalms, the Proverbs, um, all these old books, the minor prophets and uh, major Jeremiah, all of this, it's summed up in, in this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So here's what's interesting. I recently learned that Jesus really was not introducing anything new here in relation to the first commandment. In this day and age, there were kind of two camps of thought, um, but that was around which is the second greatest commandment. Around the first greatest commandment, commandment, there was really universal agreement amongst the Jewish people, whether you're Pharisee, Sadducee, Zealot, Essene, doesn't matter. There was kind of universal agreement. The number one commandment is the Shema, which is right here. Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, some of them will say. So there was really no debate about that. Uh, so you had one rabbi, then when it came to the second commandment, um, and this is where the debate took place, one rabbi would say, the second greatest commandment is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. There was another rabbi who came around shortly after him who said, no, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so these were kind of the two main camps of thought, if you will, in this day and age. And Jesus wasn't as much introducing anything new as he was kind of weighing into a current cultural discussion in that community when he said, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, he didn't even say it that way. He said, the second is like it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Um, so I think um, when you think of the, the keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, really what that rabbinic thought was is that loving God is, is the greatest commandment and we, and we do that by obeying God's commandments. Keep the Sabbath was a representation, it was a yoke of obedience, if you will. So his line of thinking was, we will love God when we are obeying the commandments of God. And certainly the Pharisees would have agreed with that, right? The 613 some commandments that were found throughout the Torah, and then the Pharisees actually made another I don't know, by the time it's said and done, a couple thousand commandments to help make sure they were keeping the commandments of the Torah. So they were all about obedience, if you will, obedience to the letter of the law. Keep the commandments, obey God. That is the most important. That's how we show God that we love him, by obeying and keeping his commandments. Jesus steps in and says, we love God by loving other people. And this word tonight, guys, is not by any means to dismiss the importance of obedience. I think it's to, it's to elevate love and what, what we're called to when it comes to loving one another. And then it's to, to get perspective on what it means to keep the commandments, which is all about loving one another. Um, so I think what, what we could say here is, is it's not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's true. There's, there's truth. But I think it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving your neighbor as yourself. We demonstrate, we prove our love for God and our love for one another. The, the proof, the demonstration of how much we actually love God is in how much do we love the people around us? How much do we love our neighbor? As you guys know, it's very easy to say, I love God. I can say that all day, every day. It's a lot harder to demonstrate, really, I love God because look how I love the people around me. Um, 
So there's a very close relationship between these two commandments, so much so that Jesus doesn't just mention the one without the other. They ask him what's the greatest commandment, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't just mention the one, he immediately goes into the other. And it makes sense why he would say that to the Pharisaic world, right? If he would have left it at, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they would have been, check, we're good, we got that. We love God, we keep all the commandments. When he says, love the people around you, which is essentially what he's saying, the Pharisees probably would be like, uh, like, this is why we don't like this guy, because he keeps coming after us. He keeps coming after us. He keeps convicting us. We don't like this Jesus guy. Um, so we see this same uh, kind of argument take place throughout other places in the scripture, that one is the proof of the other. One is the demonstration of the other. We see it in James, of course, right? And we're all familiar with the, the faith and the works um, discussion that James has there. Uh, faith without works is what? It's dead. Faith without works is dead. James will spend chapter two, I forget, like 10 verses there going through and, and giving his, his dissertation, if you will, his thesis, his belief that if you don't have works, you don't have faith. Your work is the proof of your faith. And so that's what James will say again. One is the demonstration or one is the proof of the other. We see Jesus take this same kind of argument, the same line of thought. If you guys remember the story where he healed the, the paralyzed man, before he healed the man, um, he said, your sons or your sins are forgiven you. And that's actually what really upset the religious crowd who was around Jesus because they challenged him and said, who is, who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? God alone forgives sins, right? What does Jesus do? He says, well, okay, you tell me, which, which of these would be easier for me to say? Would it be easier for me to say, stand up, take your bed and walk home? Or would it be easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven you? He says, clearly, it's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because how do you prove that, right? There's no proof. There's no demonstration of that. I can say, hey, your sins are forgiven you. How do you know whether or not that happened? Jesus says, but to let you know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, then he looks at the guy and says, rise up, take your bed, and walk. The miracle Jesus did there was not the main point. His main point was not to heal that man. His main point was to teach a lesson, and that lesson was... I have the authority to forgive sins. One is the demonstration of the other, one was the proof of the other. And then we don't have to wander too much further uh, to again come back to this, this idea of love and how our love for others is our proof for our love for God because there's a little small book in the New Testament where he talks about this. Anyone know where we're going? First John, there it is. First John, uh, everyone turn to First John chapter Four. Sorry, Dina, I don't think I gave you this one. It's First John chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 21 here. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, 
the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God cares a great deal about how we treat each other and how we treat the world around us. I would dare to say God may care even more about how we treat one another than how we treat him. He's big, he can handle it, right? And, and, and he gets it and he's abundant in grace and abundant in mercy. And he is very, very involved and interested and concerned with how we treat the people around us. So that leads us to an interesting question, right? Um, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is the proof that you love God. We love God by loving our neighbor as ourself. If you're like me, the next question will be, okay, I wanna make sure I'm checking that box. So who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that's a question that, do you guys remember somebody in the Bible asked Jesus that exact same question? So uh, you don't have to turn here, but I'm gonna go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke 10, I think you have this one, Dina. Luke 10, 29 through 37. And just read Jesus's answer here. I love this. Um, and it was actually Ravi Zacharias. Anyone ever listened to Ravi before? Handful, excellent. Um, Ravi is the one who pointed this out and a teaching he did a long time ago, and I have been very blessed by that. So this is Luke 29, or sorry, Luke 10, 29 through 37. And you guys are familiar with this parable. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting at verse 29, you have a lawyer here. He desires to justify himself, so he sa it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what Ravi Zacharias points out here is Jesus does not directly answer the man's question. He wants to know, tell me who my neighbor is. Is it like within a mile radius? Is it just the Jews? Is it the Gentiles also? Is it just my church community? Is it just the Baptists? Is it just, right? He wants an answer, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't tell him who his neighbor is. Instead, he tells him how to be neighborly with anyone he comes into contact with. So it's not about a jurisdiction. It's not about a particular radius or particular people. It's about who is in front of you today. Are you neighborly? It's not about the person out there. It's about who are you? Are you a loving person? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus answers that question. Um, so Paul will say, in Romans 13:10 love is the fulfillment of the law love is the fulfillment of the law again i think like that it's like for most of us westerners and didn't grow up with <laughs> the torah and grow up in a jewish community we're like yeah cool uh man for the jewish community that's got to be something they have to grapple with right like how like there's all these commandments how does that how does that work but that's what jesus essentially was saying as the rabbi with authority he was saying all the old testament all of it when you read it here's what you need to understand god's intention in these commandments and in these stories and in these prophecies and in the way the prophets called out the people god's intention has always been here's the lesson love god and love people around you that's what Jesus essentially was saying when he says all the law and the prophets, they hinge or they hang on these two commandments. Paul will say love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, to go further, Paul will say in Galatians, Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's fulfilled in one word. The entire law is fulfilled in one statement, one word. You shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Um, do you guys remember Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to what? Fulfill. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And most of the teaching I've grown up with centers around uh, Jesus fulfilled. He was the perfect sacrifice, right? The perfect lamb, uh, the atonement for our sins. He was the one who kept the law. Uh, he was the fulfillment of what the prophets foresaw. And all of that's good, very true. But I know, I know again, that, that I'm, I'm not discounting any of that. But I wonder if Jesus may have also been saying that the way I love the people around me is the fulfillment of the law. The way that I'm, I'm doing life, watch me, 
watch me disciples, watch how I interact with people, watch how I love people, watch how I take care of the, out, uh, the outcast, the broken, <laughs> watch, watch the way I treat the people around me, watch the way I show grace and mercy and kindness. And he's saying, this, this is how you fulfill the law, is you walk in love. After all, if Paul can say love is the fulfillment of the law, and that all of the laws summarized and love your neighbor as yourself, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say maybe that's exactly what Jesus meant when he says, I didn't come to abolish, I came to show you how to fulfill the law. And if that's the case, it means that the law is not for us Gentiles, uh, 20 20, living in El Dorado, Kansas. It's not some far off distant thing that Jesus just fulfilled for us that we don't want to touch with a 10 foot stick. Maybe it means we also fulfill the law by walking in the love that he's called us to walk in. Love God and love each other. A um, couple other quick things here. If you guys will turn, this will be our last kind of big section we'll read. Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 1 through 12. And this is kind of, this is really maybe where I should have started with tonight. This is what prompted me to share this word tonight was this, this section in Matthew 24. Um, but here we go. Matthew 24. Um, I, like, I like context. Really, all I'm going for here is verse 12, but I think it, it helps to kind of set the stage a little bit. We are all probably very familiar with Matthew 24, especially if you've grown up around this community. We are like, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, right? And there's going to be tribulation and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and all these things are going to get worse, but he's coming back. We are very familiar with this, with this passage. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. He answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that, of course, was fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem, uh, destruction of the temple. Verse three, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Um, verse 10, I think it is safe to say that there are many people in this day and age falling astray, right? It's, that's, that's absolutely happening. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, there are people who are betraying one another. It's safe to say that there are people who hate one another, right? Pretty safe assessment to say that that's happening in the world around us. Um, verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. I think um, 
we have to be, I'm trying to think of how I want to say this, uh, we have to be careful. I think we can, we can sometimes fall into such an end times, doomsday mentality that we can fall or cause people to fall astray, right? When, I mean, I've been, I've been in the church for my whole life. I'm 30 years old. I've heard, I don't know how many sermons and how many teachings I've heard around the second coming of Christ. And that's so exciting and it's thrilling and keeping our hope on Jesus coming back, absolutely. But I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, oh, this is it. Oh, this is, oh, we've never seen something like this before. Oh, Y2K, oh, this. And I'm not trying to mock. I'm not trying to diminish the time that we're in right now in 2020. Um, I just think we have to keep our hope set on what our hope needs to be set on, which is Jesus and his return. All of these are just the beginning of birth pains. He says, look, this stuff's going to happen. The end is not yet, right? There's going to be rumors of war. There's going to be war. There's going to be earthquake. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be famines. All these things are going to happen. The end is not yet, right? So I think we just have to be careful how we articulate these things. Um, I think we can sometimes do ourselves a disfavor uh, to the people around us when there's a lot of crying wolf, so to speak. And so, again, oh my gosh, I love end times eschatology. Revelation is truly one of my favorite books. I just think sometimes we think we know what's going to happen, and we get into these little camps and these little parties about, like, it's going to look like this, and there's going to be this many years, and this, and this, and I don't know. Like, yes, maybe, and maybe we can figure some of that stuff out, but our hope is set on Jesus. He is coming back to planet Earth. That is a real deal. That's gonna happen. Let's keep that eager expectation. Let's look up where our, for our hope to draw nigh. And I think we have to be careful about always saying, this is, this is the deal. And, and sometimes I think that can get, produce more fear than it does hope or, or faith. So again, just think we have to be a little careful about that. So all of that to say, verse 12, Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. I think most of the times I read this verse until, I don't know, probably six months ago is when it first hit me, I would just make this subtle shift in my mind because what Jesus says here doesn't necessarily make um, uh, as good of sense as logically it could if he were to reverse those. Meaning, if he were to say, because people's love is gonna grow cold, lawlessness is going to abound. That would make a lot of logical sense, right? That, that makes good sense. Yeah, as, as people stop loving, lawlessness increases. That's, you can see the clear cause and effect relationship there. What is the cause and effect relationship though between lawlessness increasing and then love growing cold as a result of that lawlessness increasing. And so as I thought about that, I think the warning here is for the people of God, right? It's, it, it, it's the, the, his people. You have to be careful as lawlessness increases all around us, as you watch CNN and the world and the way things are going, you have to be careful that your love doesn't grow cold, that you don't become hateful, that you, you don't get into this, I just wanna get out of this place, right? I'm, I'm done with this world, I'm sick of this world, it's all gonna burn up anyways, I'm out of here, right? That's the mindset I think we have to be on guard against. We're called to love, to keep our love hot for the Lord, keep our love hot for those in the church and those out of the church, those, those around us. Um, keep our love warm and not let our love grow cold. A couple final thoughts here on all of this. Um, again, God 
just he cares a great deal about how we treat people around us people in the church people outside of the church he cares so much about how we are treating and thinking and relating to the people around us um, it probably would be helpful to define love i don't know if i could define love but but we're, when you're moved by mercy and and, it, and compassion and and kindness and, and even when people are doing wrong and doing horrible awful wicked evil things your your mindset toward them is not one of I despise or I hate or I can't stand or it's I feel God's mercy for you I love you I care for you people around us in the church and then absolutely those outside right those those on the outside of, of, of these doors Jesus will say in Matthew 5, if you're on your way to go worship to bring your gift to the altar, and on your way there, you remember you've got some issues with your brother, stop the altar business. I'm not, I don't care about you coming to worship me. Go take care of the issue with your brother or your sister. He so cares about how we treat each other. And I think for me, this is really, really good. Um, a lot of this is me just kind of processing what the Lord has been showing me because most of my life I've had a very strong theology and got to grow spiritually and I got to spend time in the word and I got to grow myself spiritually and become a better spiritual leader and a better, better spiritual, etc. Good stuff, not saying anything against that. But I think what God has shown me is you're gonna, you're gonna hit a point where you're not going any further with that mindset until you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about the people who are around you. Stop caring and considering so much, am I, oh, am I, am I keeping, am I following, am I, am I doing enough, am I, and start just opening your eyes to the people around you. Um, loving those, loving your neighbor as yourself. So a couple of real practical things I think we can do with this. Number one, um, my, my dad has told me before multiple times that one day when he stands before God, the absolute one, one thing he does not want to stand before God without having is, is the love of God deep within him, that God's love would abide in him. And he says it's a fearful thing to think about standing before God one day, having all the commandments and all the obedience and all the rules and all the Bible and all the prayers and all the teaching down to a T, and you don't love the people around you. And obviously it's very possible because that is exactly what the Pharisees did, right? They had everything going for them. They were so about keeping the commandments of God. They get a lot of bad rap from us, right? And necessarily so, right? Jesus also really went after them hardcore. But man, they would have made most of us look pretty weak in comparison as far as their diligence to the, the scriptures, their memorization, their trying to obey. We want to obey God. We want to make God happy by obeying God. We have to obey God. And they missed it. They missed the absolute foundational purpose of what the law was all about, which was if you want to please him, you've got to take care of the people around you. You've got to love the people around you. And that's, that's that piece that they missed. So we can pray. That's a practical thing we can do. We can pray, God, please let your love abide in me. Let me love the people around me the way that you love them. Help me to do that. And then a real simple second thing is just stop thinking about us and start looking at the people around you. Start looking at how are you doing and, and just be intentional. Just reach out. Um, so let me pray for us real quick. God, we do thank you. Thank you for your love, which is beyond our comprehension. 
And I pray what Paul prayed, Lord, that your love, that we would know the love of Christ, which passes understanding that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. To obey, Lord, to follow what you've asked us to do and not miss the person in the ditch along the way. Let your love abide in us, pray in Jesus' name, amen.